Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day and this gorgeous week we've had. And Lord, we thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you that you've brought Beth back safely to Michigan, and we thank you for uh, being able to see her again and just to be able to share this, this time together, uh, looking at your uh, word and, and using this catechism as a tool to delve us deeper and deeper into what you've revealed about yourself and what you've commanded us about how we should live. And Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes uh, as we have a discussion today about the Sixth Commandment. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, just remind us that we are all uh, just beggars who've been shown where the bread is. And Lord, may we be humble in, in our approaches to these things. And Lord, may we be uh, always trying to understand a little more and dig a little deeper into uh, the just amazing God that you are and the depths of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, so let's, you know what, let's do all first six commandments. Just keep in practice. Sean, you're going to have to lead us because you are the big head on the board. Uh, if you don't do it, everyone's going to see you just sitting there. All right, so number one. No other gods before me. That one's just kind of like a gimme. You got to hold up one finger. There we go, my man. All right. Um, because there's one God. And so it doesn't make any sense to bring any other gods. Uh, and before me, remember, doesn't mean you can have other gods. Just don't rank them above me. It means before my face, in my presence. You bring your other gods in here, it's not going to go well for you or them. All right. Two. Turn it upside down. Bend it at the knees. Make no graven images. You shall not bow down and worship them. No graven images. Three. Put them together. Make like you're touching your mouth. And. Shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Four. We're again upside down and they're running along. They're headed to. Church. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Five. Bam, bam, it's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, etc. Honor your mother and father. And then six, this is where it starts to become a bit of a stretch. No, it's not. This is not a stretch. There's a later one. Boom, 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 boom. Kelvin turned it sideways. That's a kill shot. Uh, And that is, thou shalt not murder. Yeah, and that's the one we, we looked at. Um, it was real interesting if you weren't here. We looked at lots of Hebrew words last time. So uh, if you really struggle with insomnia this week, uh, I'll have that up on the website and you can, you can watch that. And uh, We were looking at just the different kind of spheres of words for kill or murder um, and how just to briefly... Sean's stuck and it looks like he's... It looks like he's about to like, argue a point. Yeah, he's had an epiphany. <laughs> um, so, so the uh, argument is often made that the word used here in the Hebrew simply means premeditated murder. So as long as you do it in the heat of the moment or for any other reason other than I'm going to kill that guy and I've got a plan, you're not violating the rule. Uh, it was very easy to show that that's not true. Uh, that even these cities of refuge where you go if you have basically committed manslaughter in being called the city of refuge for the manslayer used the same word here. So it's a, it's a broader word, but then we went in and we started looking at situations in which in a war that God had actually commanded, you know, if you look at the conquest of the Holy Land, etc., 
It's not the, war, the word that's used generally. Uh, that it almost always does uh, wind up referring to um, what we would call murder in some way. Maybe not just first degree murder, second degree murder. Certainly when uh, we use this kind of a case study briefly, uh, the idea of Cain saying to his brother, I'm angry with you, let's go out in this field. And we don't know whether he got out there and was like, that is a pretty nice looking rock. I'm just so angry I'm going to do it in the heat of the moment. Or if his plan was, I've got a place in this field where I can drag the body and I premeditated it. Either way, he broke the sixth commandment. It hadn't been given yet, but it, I mean, it's part of the covenant of works is you don't do this kind of thing. So killing um, somebody in, in that way, essentially taking from God uh, vengeance as now it's going to become my job uh, and I, I am going to carry out vengeance rather than deferring to God. Then we started talking about uh, other situations in the scripture and the words that are used uh, in, for example, defending others. We talked about defending your home, which is right in Exodus 22 after this. That was kind of a interesting one. And remember, again, this is all under the, the context of the old covenant. Uh, but there was the distinction between if it's dark out and someone's breaking in and you kill them in the melee, or if it's light out, whether or not you're having to pay this blood price and these things that went with the, the old covenant. Uh, and then we looked at two passages by Jesus on the topic, which almost seemed to highlight two different approaches to this. One was from Matthew 5, in which he said, you have heard it said, and we're going to look a little closer at this today, uh, you have heard it said, uh, that, that you should not murder, but I say, you know, don't harbor hatred in your heart. Uh, and, and if you hate your brother, you've already committed murder. And so he seems to not take it in a direction of more murders are permissible, but into a direction of even if just murder is in here and in here, it's still breaking that same commandment. Then we looked at Luke 22, in which he tells his disciples, listen, I'm, I'm on my way to my father. I need you guys to be ready for anything. So if you've got the knapsack and the coin purse and an extra cloak and an extra staff, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy a sword, uh, which has been a passage often uh, trotted out to uh, defend a certain position on um, self-defense and, and uh, the taking of life. So that's kind of where we were. Did we talk at all about... I don't think we talked about Jesus and Stephen. I think it's worth noting, certainly, that uh, both Jesus and Stephen, while they were uh, put to death by groups of people that had been entrusted by God with a certain amount of authority, because certainly Rome is a valid, in that land at that time, authority over the people. Uh, so Romans 13 is in the context of obeying Rome itself. Um, putting Christ to death, that was illegal in many ways, especially what the Sanhedrin did. They broke, uh, MacArthur wrote a book about this, uh, about the trial of Jesus and how many laws it broke, its own laws. Uh, and Stephen, who was just dragged out without any process, just in a rage, in that case, you might even say um, that it was not legal at all, that, that this this group stopped being the Sanhedrin and just started being a mob where the Sanhedrin looked the other way. And in neither case, I mean, I don't know what good it might have done. Well, Jesus could have called them 10,000 angels, but I don't know what good it would have done Stephen. They don't fight back. 
What does Stephen say as he's being stoned to death? Yeah, forgive them. Just as Jesus says, forgive them. Uh, Stephen says, don't hold the sin against them. He's, he's looking at the people murdering him, seeing the hate and the murder in their eyes. And he's like, I feel compassion for you. This is, I, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know God. Um, compare that with Joseph Smith, who's considered often a martyr uh, in the Mormon church. He was arrested, probably on sort of trumped up charges. You know, we don't like these other people, these, these uh, religious minority in our midst, and they brought him into uh, the, the cell, and he was awaiting trial, and here comes a mob, and so you have a situation where he's in legitimate, uh, legitimate custody, and then in those days, if the mob showed up, the guy guarding the cell was like, well, it's not worth me dying over this scumbag, and just kind of steps back, and he says to that officer, the least you can do is give me your gun. And the guy says, all right, here you go. Good luck. And so as they're, they're killing him, Smith takes several people out with him. Uh, and I think that's a very different approach uh, to our own lives and how we vo- value them as people who follow Jesus. You know, is, is this something where if, if he had a chance to save his life and escape, would he have been more justified in having that gun? Probably. But if it's just this rage and vengeance of, I'm going to take some of you with me. Can you imagine if Jesus on the way to the cross had, you know, oh, I, I can't carry this. And then when they came in to, to pick him up, he struck out and killed one of them. I mean, we would not view him the same way. So there is a certain um, Christ-like martyr spirit that says, if I'm going to die for the faith, I'm not going to lash out. You know, I've never said, we've, we've I've, sadly, I've watched some of these beheading videos of Christians. Uh, I watched my last one, I'll tell you that. But John Piper had this thing, like, watch them. You need to know what's happening. Um, never once has anybody at the last moment, sometimes you look and you're like, that, that's a big guy. He could probably, and that's a little guy who's doing the beheading. He could probably jump up, grab it, and take that guy out and show his defiance. You know, and yet... What's the great witness of a Christian? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and to lay down your life. Uh, now, if you had a chance maybe to like get away again, to save your own life, that falls under a different category. Um, so, the, I mean, again, I said last week we're going to open cans of worms and out of that we're going to pull more cans of worms. There are probably cans of worms we won't even get to. Um, there's the notion that seeking the death uh, a, a martyr's death is almost uh, a desire. I'm going to actually touch on this a little in the message this morning. Uh, historically, Cyprian got in huge trouble for taking his church and fleeing when the Roman uh, persecution was coming to, to kill people. And they're like, you, you're, you're out of the church now. And he actually, he did eventually die a martyr's death, but, but he had to kind of claw his way back into the respect of the people, even though Jesus told them, you know, when you see these things happening, get out of Dodge. Uh, there's no reason that you should die if you don't have to. Uh, Matthew 10, 23, flee to another city. Um, and there are, I mean, Christians, this is one of the, the major things Christians wind up arguing about. Uh, there are so many issues under this. What does it mean, thou shall not kill, thou shall not murder? What's the culpability um, and, you know, people argue in the ink has been spilled all over, euthanasia, suicide, abortion, capital punishment, uh, and there's so many different 
views on these things, we're not going to get into stuff that's going to be divisive and, and the kind of thing that is never solved and people just get more entrenched in their position. Uh, we're going to speak about, you know, what exactly does this particular commandment mean? Whatever we touch on, we touch on. Everybody keep your Christian charity. Hey, if you got through this election and you continue to be uh, kind and loving toward fellow Christians, I think that we're able to, to, to talk about even these kind of controversial things. Uh, so question 56, I don't even know that we're going to get to my PowerPoint after all the preamble. Uh, question 56, let's read this together. What is forbidden in the sixth commandment? The sixth commandment forbids the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatever tends to it. You know what, let's, let's jump into the PowerPoint and then we will talk, if we have the time, about the Ego de Legos, etc. I don't even know if this is working, is it? All right, Sean, see you later. I'm going to share my screen with you. Um, slideshow. And, I, and if you weren't already here when I confessed it, I honestly haven't uh, seen this uh, since I last led you through it five years ago, so. Um, did it, how do I share screen? Where's share screen? Well, you've started the slideshow, so you can't see it yet. Sean, do you see the first page of a PowerPoint? Yes. Sweet. We're gonna talk now about the sixth commandment, also called the fifth commandment, if you are Roman Catholic or Lutheran. Uh, not all Lutherans, some of them. The OG Lutherans. First off, this is something that under the loci of theology has had more ink spilled on it than almost any other topic over the centuries. Most people today don't think a lot about it. Wars are something that are fought way over there. And so, you know, unless you're in the army, in the navy, in the service, and you're a Christian and you're thinking, okay, I got to know what my position is on this sort of thing. Uh, most people have just kind of a broad, nebulous, fuzzy idea of, yeah, we, we don't kill. I mean, sometimes in war it's necessary, but, and haven't asked themselves, why is it not a sin for this person to kill this person in one context, but not another? Or the guy in Wayne's world, why is it? If a man kills another man in battle, it's called heroic. But if he kills him in the heat of passion, it's called murder. No, Wayne's World fans? Wow. Maybe time to move on to another church. So. All right. Uh, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. Uh, and that's something we kind of sussed out already last week. We're not going to belabor it. Um, let's get a little quote from our only famous American Baptist uh, Tony Campolo, who's just barely famous. The last time we saw him speak, he told a story about how he showed up at a speaking engagement and there was like one car there and his daughter said, uh, how come nobody's here? I thought that uh, you were really well known. And his son said, leave him alone. It's hard to be famous when no one knows who you are. <laughs> um, this is from Hot Potatoes, Christians Are Afraid to Touch, which is the most 80s name for a Christian book I could possibly imagine. Uh, but here is his uh, thesis, and if you've ever read Campolo, I know a lot of people don't like him, and they think of him as this theological, you know, kind of spineless jellyfish. I don't think that's the case. He always has 
strong undergirding biblical things, even when I don't agree with his conclusions, I always respect the way he gets there. Christian may not kill under any circumstances. So he has several uh, building blocks upon which he builds this. Now what he's in here is called the Anabaptist tradition, uh, which is now pacifism, right? You know Mennonite people, you know of Amish people, and they're not going to kill for any reason at all. And if they do, they're going to consider themselves to have sinned and, and they're going to repent of it. Um, ironically, the Anabaptists, if you remember our study of Baptist history and Reformation history, started out as either super pacifist or kill everybody um, that disagrees with us. Uh, but these days, only those who, because the armies wiped out those who tried to kill everybody, only those who are pacifists are still amongst us. So this is very much what you would read in a Quaker uh, treatment of this sort of thing or uh, any other Anabaptist kind of approach. So, oh, sorry. Um, so we have the idea of Jesus' example. First and foremost, right? Remember the bracelets from the 90s. What would Jesus do? And if you're in a situation with the possibility of taking a life and you simply ask broadly, quickly, don't think, react, what would Jesus do? Kill him or not kill him? The answer is almost always going to come out of your mouth. Not so much. Kill him, right? Uh, so that was kind of his... This, this idea that we just know. We just know from Jesus' example, we don't have any examples where Jesus um, seemed to be on the verge of, oh, if this had gone differently, you know, you wouldn't be getting up tomorrow morning. Um, we have examples of pull out my beard, scourge my back open, slap me on the face, I turn the other cheek. He wasn't, you know, roll over me like uh, I'll just be a, a punching bag and I don't care. In fact, he even calls uh, the Ill illegality several times of his own proceedings on the, those who are carrying it out. If I have spoken wrong, what have I said? Otherwise, why do you hit me? Um, you have no authority to pilot. I mean, the, the sand it takes. Is that one okay? Uh, to, uh, to say to pilot, you would have no authority over me if it had not been given to you by someone above with the implication, I'm kind of the guy that gave you the authority. Um, he, he's not, he's meek. He's not weak. And the difference, remember, is meekness is power that's under control. Uh, and Jesus' power was always under control. And when we see him exert some, you know, anger, righteous anger, maybe even kind of the implication of, uh, you know, I'm going to stop you from doing something, uh, it's on behalf of others. Uh, certainly when he goes into the Temple courts, you know, people often portray this as just like Wolverine going berserker, right? Like I just, I, ah! you know, he's, he blacked out and then when he came to, all the tables were turned over or something. Uh, no, this was a very intentional thing that he does twice in the Gospels, cleansing the temple because God is offended by what's going on. And God is offended because the poor are being exploited. So, so Jesus isn't here, I'm just angry. Jesus is here uh, pursuing justice in the midst of a holy place because idolatry and social injustice are the two things that get prophets most angry. And Jesus is the greatest prophet, although that's not all he is. So yeah, he cleanses the temple. He, uh, this, this one is of questionable canonicity, I guess, but he gets between the, the mob with the stones and the woman caught in adultery. And who knows 
what he would have done had they not dropped their stones. He knew they would drop their stones, but there are times when he just sort of fades away. Maybe he just grabbed her and they'd have... But I mean, sometimes they're in, they're in the temple courts, and I'm not giving you all the chapter and verse because this is just... I'm free associating. They're in the temple courts, right? And uh, this is in John. His opponents try to grab him to kill him, and he just is gone. Like, it seems miraculous, kind of like when Elijah is just carried away from Ahab or from Jezebel. Um, but there are other times, like in Nazareth, where he just walks in through their midst. And, and I read that, and in my mind, what I'm picturing is something in his eyes, there's something in, in his gait. There's just something about this guy where everyone's like, as soon as everyone dogpiles on him, I'm in on it. But no one wants to make the first move. Like, there, so, so there's a certain amount, but in none of these things is the... King of Kings, who's amongst his people, willing to lash out at one of these people and kill them. And you might go, well, duh. There are, I mean, look at the other prominent world religions where you have one Messiah-ish guy. It's very rare that they don't have blood-stained hands. It's just very rare. In fact, um, almost unheard of. So that's, that's uh, the first is Jesus' example. Second, the idea of progressive revelation where you'd say, hold on. You know, in Exodus 20, we're told, thou shalt not murder. Exodus 22, it's okay if you off the guy who's robbing your house in the middle of the night. So obviously, a Christian cannot kill under any circumstances is not the right interpretation. He would say, don't forget progressive revelation. Uh, for example, Jesus saying stuff like, Moses gave you this any cause divorce, just write a coupon and send her packing because of the hardness of your hearts. But now I tell you, and here's more. And Jesus does this with killing. Um, there's more and more light shined as we go through the Bible, uh, which is why I think that people who want to find the answers to everything in Genesis, not that I'm pointing at any organization in particular, uh, needs to say, hold on a minute. Maybe there are more complete answers if we start in Genesis and go through the whole thing and, uh, and find you know, what's going on as progressively God reveals more and more of himself. Through the Old Testament, that looks like more and more revealing who the Messiah will be. Uh, it starts out as the seed of the woman. That kind of could be anybody. Uh, and then even within, uh, you know, 10, 12 more chapters, we've really narrowed it down. So this is what's going on ethically as well, Campolo would argue. And so the notion that a Christian can kill because of some of this Old Testament stuff misses the idea of progressive revelation. Um, third, whatever you do to the least of these, uh, Jesus teaching that, now, how would you turn this back on him, I think, would be one thing you could do to the least of these would be let them suffer and die at the hands of a tyrant or a thug or an attacker uh, instead of intervening. Uh, but he is going to emphasize and probably in most situations um, that we might find ourselves in, simply backing down from someone's you know, uh, anger rather than getting involved in that mutual escalation, brinksmanship stuff, is going to be the best way to uh, show God's love to the least of these. Um, yesterday, Calvin and I were geocaching, which is trying to use billion dollar satellites to find Tupperware in the woods. We were actually doing it in, in Lansing, and I was like slowing way down, looking like we were getting closer and closer to the coordinates. And somebody behind me went around me and honked the horn and shouted the nicest phrase uh, at me. And part of me was like, 
I want to honk my horn back. I didn't want to shout the phrase. Well, maybe deep, deep in the flesh, but I wasn't about to. Uh, and even that little kind of thing. I think, it, you know, there's this rabbinical lesser to greater. This notion that if you can slap me on the face and I'm going to turn the other cheek, how does it make sense that when the stakes raise, uh, I'm not going to, in the same way, submit? I, I'm, I'm trying to get inside the head of Dr. Compolo here. Uh, four, passive resistance is more effective, although slower. Uh, and he obviously would point to Mahatma Gandhi and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and other situations in which um, rather than revolt and rebel and kill, people changed things um, in this painstaking process uh, that, that often seems like one step forward, two steps back when you're in the midst of it. Um, and that would be Compolo's case. Uh, maybe before we, and you, have, you haven't read it, you've just got my uh, PowerPoint version of it, but, but before we move to the next slide, does anyone want to interact with any of those? It's probably the best case I've heard for that kind of um, absolute pacifism. I don't think we've moved systematic theology f forward in the last, I mean, are, since the 80s, there <laughs> but there probably of, are, yeah. There are a lot of books, we have some of them in the um, library that will take on like similar, you know, sort of hot button issues and stuff. Um, it's the, is God a moral monster? Right, isn't that more Paul, about Paul uh, the okay. conquest though and like yeah, the idea of... Oh, oh, that guy wrote another book. He, he's written several books. Okay. And they'll, they'll tackle things like... Yeah, certainly, yeah. I mean, like I said, this ink is continually being spilled on this. Um, this is just the most compelling uh, case that I had, had read myself and, and interacted with. I've heard another one, actually. Yeah? Um, I've heard it said that since a Christian believes in the resurrection, they believe in eternal life, that even in the face of self-defense... If you really believe that you will be resurrected, there's no reason to fight back and kill someone, even under the threat of being killed. Okay. Uh, so what you stand to lose is far greater than what the unbeliever stands to lose. Well, that person may, at some point later, come to Christ. Right. Why would you do that if you believe? Yeah, you know, that, a great example of that would be um, the uh, Nate St. Jim Elliott party uh, when they... They went down to the uh, Wadoni Indians. Uh, there's an amazing, amazing movie that we should watch in here. I should see if I could license that. That'd be a fun thing to do. Uh, called The End of the Spear. Um, and it's the story from the point of view mostly of his son, uh, who later on became a missionary to the same people who killed his, his dad and, and the whole party. They speared them to death. And they he said, if they attack you, are you going to use your guns to defend yourself? And the dad said, uh, Nate Saint said, no, son, they're not ready for heaven, and we are. And he just told them right off the bat, we're not going to. And when they, I can't believe this. They were being speared to death and watching their friends be speared to death. Um, and they had fired three shots, and they just fired them in the air, like to try and just scare them. Like maybe they'll leave us alone long enough for us to kind of gather ourselves together. In that case, again, you know, like Rocco, you got a six shooter, and there's a, a tribe surrounding you. So if you start shooting people, maybe it scares them away quicker, or maybe you take a bunch of people with you when your goal in going there was to give them eternal life 
not to kill them. And you're never going to be able to witness to them. Yeah, yeah. Once that happens, now the adversarial relationship. Now, now when your sister and and Jim Elliot's wife and everyone comes to bring the gospel, they get killed too because what we've done is we've started a war. Uh, because they became martyrs, they were so thrown and confused by the fact that more of these people are coming that are related to the people we killed and still they say God loves you and we love you and they won them to Christ. Yeah, that, that, I think that's a, a valid, certainly a valid. It, could that have been under one of these? Maybe three? Yeah, maybe, but I don't think so. No, yeah, I think that that's another, that's maybe number five. I think the one thing that changes is like, um, once you put into that equation, somebody you're protecting, like a weaker yeah. person. And I think that's when it gets confusing. Because so whatever you do to the least of these, well, which person's the least of these? The right. one who is attacking you or the one that you're protecting? Yeah, and, and if it's a, a just war, which, I mean, I, I have yet another PowerPoint after this one. Um, but if it, it meets the criteria of a just war, of a bind of the just war theory, which I do, um, then you're, you're thinking in terms of, okay, I don't know who's over there. Maybe we're both believers. To me, that's just horrifying and, and war is awful, but it is a reality and it's addressed throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament. Um, and who you're thinking about is your family, your hometown. You're thinking about, you know, maybe you're fighting the Germans and you're thinking about not only protecting everyone who's back home, but the millions in the concentration camps and all these things. You know, so, so there are more variables than just me and that guy in most real life uh, case studies of this, uh, because most of them do come down, I think, to war or some form of that. Um, so if you fall into this, and, and pragmatic pragmatism is not the best way to interact with theology, I don't think, but it has to work if it's good theology. If no Christians then could become uh, combatants in the armed services, and in many cases, even as a conscientious objector, they say, I, I you know, a, a Anabaptist, for example, I can't do anything that even kind of sidelong contributes to, you know, I can't clean the plane engines and then you go and bomb people with those planes. I have to just work on, you know, people who've been shot or, you know, help in, in other ways. Um, and, and no uh, Christian could then, under this same uh, thought, become a, a po police officer, law enforcement, because that would require you to be ready to use some kind of deadly force uh, in, in certain situations. I mean, most, most law enforcement officers I don't think ever do, but you'd have to be ready for it uh, and at least acknowledge, yeah, if it comes down to it, I will do it or they won't let you be a, a cop. What does the world start to look like then when you know, we're trying to win everyone to Christ and, and Christians and, and, and everyone who's in power, uh, you know, uh, keeping laws, first use of the law is a non-believer. There's no uh, leaven in that loaf at all, you know, bringing the gospel and mercy to bear on how we uh, bring the law down on people. I think that, uh, and of course, the history of the Christian church, we'll get to a little bit earlier, going all the way back to John the Baptist, you know, soldiers saying, how do we do this repentance thing? Somebody flip to, to uh, I think we're talking Matthew here. This is just, again, make them ups as we go. And here we go, Luke 3.12. 
That's, the, that's the, the, the verse at the top of the page that I was already open to. It says Luke 3.12. Um, okay, so here we go. Yeah, so John says to the crowd um, coming out to be baptized, you brood of vipers who warns you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's warning about judgment. The ax is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not produce good fruit um, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. Jesus answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the man who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to him. Uh, as they came to be baptized, teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than required, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. He doesn't say quit being soldiers because in order to repent and serve God, you can't be in that line of work. That's not a valid calling for somebody who is following this Messiah for whom I'm preparing the way. Um, Jesus also, this is an argument from silence rather than uh, what we saw there, uh, interacts with centurions and other soldiers with, you know, who come to him not to kill him, but to learn from him or to get a favor from him, a, a miracle, and does not rebuke them for being soldiers or tell them, go and sin no more. And by that, I mean, stop being a centurion because you know what you guys do. Uh, same thing. We have no indication that Cornelius, this Roman centurion, the first uh, Gentile, as the church blows that out into, let's reach the gospel to the Gentiles, that he stops being Cornelius, the centurion. Rather, the assumption is he brings his love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, into his calling instead. So I think that these examples are uh, at least tough nuts to crack for uh, a position like Tony Campolo's. Uh, that's just my opinion. Maybe you think I'm wrong. Uh, tell me. I think that's the ideal. Sure, that's the ideal, but we don't live in an ideal world. Neither did John the Baptist, right? So, I mean, if, neither did Jesus. In fact, maybe our microcosm of a world is more ideal than theirs because at least there's a notion of, um, you know, expectation of justice and an outcry when it's not there. And, and in that world, it was just like, well, yeah, everything's unjust. So, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel a pushback, but I, I think if they had lived in a very idyllic world, then maybe we could say there's a disconnect, but neither did John the Baptist, neither did Christ, neither do we, um, and yet... What I mean is, you know, Jesus' example, and the way he... Oh, I got you, I got you. His higher morality is great, and it is something to strive for, but in every situation, you're right, it's complex, and you must ask yourself, what is the right thing to do in this situation? Right. And we strive toward Jesus' example, but we can never achieve it, or we hope to achieve it. That would be... Now we do want to keep the law. We know that when we fail, we can be forgiven. And I guess the question is still just the law of love even. How, and is, is there a demand of Christians to be hardcore pacifists? Um, and his answer is yes. Uh, I think let's move on to a, a kind of syst systematic look at this. Um, I don't know what I was trying to do here. I was getting a little deeper than I needed to, I think, and trying to be smart. Um, historical theology is 
rather than building a systematic theology where you say, let's find all the answers in scripture and categorize and systematize and, and build kind of this uh, lattice and, uh, oh, good grief, what do you call that stuff that you walk under in a street? This is how tired I am today. Nah. You walk under it because they're working on a building. Come on. Oh, scaffolding. Scaffolding uh, of, of scripture. Um, instead, you just say, okay, what has the church done historically? And then you get the advantage of seeing how it played out in this uh, non-ideal real world. Uh, and the common mistake, the common um, fallacy is to say whatever they believed, taught, and affirmed earliest in after the scriptures are completed, but whatever it was, the first thing, that's what we should return to. And we have to be careful of that because a lot of what we believe and affirm is not exactly what the earliest uh, post-apostolic church fathers did. Uh, they were no more uh, apostles and completely inspired by the Spirit than we are. Uh, but it does give us a sense for you know, you're talking about the disciples of the disciples of the disciples in some situations. And after the, the apostles had gone the way of all flesh, how does the world uh, work and how does the church interact with it? Um, here's been the teaching of Augustine. Uh, he's, he, I mean, I'd say he's the most important theologian of all time. Uh, he's someone that would be appealed to by the Roman Catholic Church, by the Lutheran Church, by the Reformed tradition of which we are a part, the Baptists coming out uh, through the English Reformation. Uh, and so it's of incredible significance and interest what he had to say. Uh, he said there, in, in self-defense, there was no private right to kill. So I'm walking down the road by myself. You know, I'm, I'm the uh, guy in the Good Samaritan. And I get jumped. According to Augustine, I don't kill these guys because this is just me and I am Jesus' uh, servant, I'm his follower, I'm a disciple, and as such, like Jesus, I'll value the lives even of these miscreants over the life of, of myself. And I mean, Jesus does the same uh, with the people who are killing him. Uh, turn the other cheek was not literal, but the example of Jesus uh, is one of self-defense. So he, he doesn't go down... Oh, self, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, right, Jesus of self-defense. And he was always like, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. No. Uh, so turn the other cheek uh, is one that people often point to. You know, if someone punches you on one side of the face, you have to turn the other. And you got to recognize Jesus puts a detail in there to make sure we know what he's talking about. And that is if someone strikes you on the, left cheek. No, the, right. the right cheek, which means then in a firmly non-ambidextrous world, they are giving you a backhand. This is... You know, like the French person in the movies taking off his glove and someone trying to goad you. Someone insulting you, injuring you in a, uh, you know, kind of a, a symbolic way. They're coming at you in the online comments, right? <laughs> Turn the other cheek. Oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. Um, so he, he recognizes this is not the linchpin verse. Uh, he's, and sometimes... Augustine's hermeneutics are a nightmare with how he finds symbols and, and allegory and everything. But here he's, he's right on. Um, but he points, like, I guess, uh, Campolo, to the, the example of self-sacrifice on Jesus' part and says, you know, if, if we're called to walk like Jesus walked, then we don't have a private right to kill. 
oh yeah, I went through this whole thing where I, I got deep into the Catholic catechism on some of this stuff. And we're going to do it anyway. Okay, so we're in the Catechism of the Catholic Church because, again, this is uh, Augustinian theology and um, even like these issues of uh, morality and things. It's interesting to see how the Westminster Confession, the Luther's large and small catechism, our confession, and even the Roman Catholic documents like the, the Baltimore Catechism and things, uh, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church, treat them slightly different, and what is the common core that they hold together? Uh, scripture specifies the prohibition contained in the fifth commandment, do not slay the innocent and the righteous. The deliberate murder of an innocent person is gravely contrary to the dignity of the human being, to the golden rule, and to the holiness of the creator. The law forbidding it is universally valid. It obliges, obliges each and every one always and everywhere. I think that probably fits rather closely with the answer in our catechism, which is the sixth commandment forbids the taking of our own life or the life of the neighbor unjustly, or whatever tends toward it. Uh, the, the very next passage, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord recalls the commandment, you shall not kill, and adds to it the proscription of anger, hatred, and vengeance. Going further, Christ asks his disciples to turn the other cheek to love their enemies. He did not defend himself, and told Peter to leave his sword in its sheath. And I think whatever we do with that Luke passage, where he said, if you don't have a cloak, sell your cloak and buy one, um, it's very telling that it's very shortly after that that Peter says, oh yeah, I have a sword, pulls the sword, starts a swinging, and is rebuked for it. Uh, Come on, I can't win. And, and if you're as thirsty for attaboys as Peter obviously was, yeah, in that, in that moment too where you're like, this is it, this is what we trade for. Um, yeah, so put the sword away and he tells him because whoever lives by, the sword, dies by lives by the sword dies by the sword, which is something that is often pulled out of context uh, to, to make the Tony Campolo argument. Well, if you you know, own a gun or you have a sense of, you know, uh, I'm going to protect my family by whatever means I have to, then you're living by the sword. Uh, no, living by the sword means that's your go-to uh, tool for everything, right? You live by this thing. Uh, if that's what you're going to go to right away, that's how you're going to die. And I think this is more a proverb even than a, this is, it seems to be an already accepted proverb um, rather than a new teaching that Jesus is springing on them in this moment where everyone's adrenaline is at 110% and they're not going to be able to internalize it. Yeah. I think too that there's, there's plenty of examples of living by the sword that doesn't, doesn't involve a weapon at all. Like if you just have like that adversarial spirit about everything, that's almost a way of living by the sword. Like people who want to argue about everything or people who um, don't talking about me? Mercy to other people. I'm talking about, well, I don't know, sometimes maybe. <laughs> um, I don't argue with you about everything. But. No, but like, like uh, last week when we were in the store and I was telling you about the, the lady who came in and she was just screaming oh, yeah. at everybody. And, oh, yeah. Like, that to me is somebody who's kind of living by the sword. She wasn't shooting the place up, but... Well, she might die by someone choking her out if she keeps <laughs> acting like that, it sounds like. But, uh, and then she called Aaron Karen. Oh, I got called Karen. Ooh. I didn't tell you that. It was, I'll tell you that. Did you guys have some kind of <laughs> Karen discussion? Okay. Um, 
Yeah, okay, so maybe that in principle, that's a similar thing. But, but yeah, I think certainly it was when he pulled out the sword and started trying to take off heads yeah. that Jesus says this. Uh, so it, it applies to the, the Sixth Commandment. If he didn't have a sword and he started throwing punches, Jesus probably would have stopped him as well, right? In that moment, certainly, because yeah. the, the whole mission that, I mean, it hangs in the balance here. Right. We, he doesn't want to get away. He, he, you know, this is to fulfill all righteousness. It's the action, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I have to register my hands as deadly weapons in the state of Michigan. And if I put them in my pockets, I can be charged with concealing them. Um, That's a dad thing to say. You know what? I think we're going to read this real quick, and then we'll pick up with Thomas Aquinas next week because it's been uh, about an hour. But here is uh, the Catholic Catechism on legitimate defense, and we will look at uh, some traditions a little closer to home next week on the same topic and see where they overlap and where they deviate. Uh, The legitimate defense of persons and societies is not an exception to the prohibition against the murder of the innocent that constitutes intentional killing. Now, let me say it slower. The illegitimate defense of persons and societies is not an exception to the prohibition against the murder of the innocent that constitutes intentional killing. The act of self-defense can have a double effect. The preservation of one's own life and the killing of the aggressor. The one is intended, the other is not. In other words, if you're trying to save your own life or the life of someone else, um, I mean, Aaron and I have both been, Richard's not here, several of us in the the, uh, thing have been through uh, training at a gun range and stuff, um, gun safety type stuff, and and, uh, you're told, just keep shooting until the person doesn't move or something, you know, like this this very um, castle doctrine kind of thing. And I I agree here with the Catholic Catechism, which happens more than you might think, uh, because much of what it teaches is basic Christian doctrine uh, and, and Christian living. If your intent is to kill someone rather than to save the life of someone or yourself, no matter what the circumstance, unless we're talking about a just war, which is its own category, and we'll get to next week or maybe the week after, you've definitely committed murder. Right? I, I had the opportunity to kill them, and I took it because it was justified, rather than I did what I had to do to save the life of the innocent. Uh, one is intended, the other is not. Uh, love toward oneself remains a fundamental principle of morality. Therefore, it is legitimate to insist on respect for one's own right to life. Someone who defends his life is not guilty of murder, even if he is forced to deal his aggressor a lethal blow. At which point, the Catholic catechism starts to sound like a teenage girl with a shirt that's like, you have to love yourself before you can love others. Or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, Jesus even assumes this when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, no one hates his body. And, you know, like everyone, everyone's going to care for themselves. Uh, and there's a reason that you spring into action fight or flight or whatever when danger comes because God put that in us to keep us alive or there wouldn't be any people left. Uh, and it's not, that's not the sin nature. That's human nature. Uh, and it wouldn't have had to be used in these terrible ways but for the fall. But here we are. Uh, so that's uh, a look at Aquinas and then the Aquinas-heavy uh, catechism on on those topics we will i want to talk to you about thomas aquinas next week listen no nobody that, that old I think you're, you're, these references are kind of 
No, nobody would have get, got that one. That one's a really, really deep cut. It was, a, it was a movie Schwarzenegger was in called End of Days, when everything was like, it was 1999, and the premise of the movie was, people often see things upside down or backwards in a vision. And when John saw 666, it was really 999, as in 1999, the year the Antichrist is coming back. And Schwarzenegger was like, I will shoot the Antichrist. It was great. Um, <laughs> All right, let's go Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, uh, first of all, the fact that uh, we live in a, a rather peaceful society and, and Lord, that we can put our heads on our pillows at night and, and be quite sure that, that we'll wake up in the morning and be safe. Lord, we thank you for that. We do pray where people don't feel safe and where there isn't justice that Lord, that would change. And, and uh, we just pray that uh, we would be people who, who value the lives of others over our own lives. Uh, and, and are willing to lay down our lives just as Jesus did, even, even when we can get deep into the weeds of uh, different situations and uh, special circumstances. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be those hearts uh, that would turn the other cheek, that would uh, love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, uh, not turn to, to plot uh, their, their injury. And, and Lord, we pray that we would have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus and, and that we would be peaceful people. Uh, and as far as we are able, we would live at peace with everyone, as your word says. Uh, we pray that uh, even as we continue to study this uh, rather controversial topic in the midst of this catechism, Lord, that uh, you would open our hearts and minds, that we would have meaningful, honest uh, discussion, and that we would uh, maybe grow in our understanding a little bit and help each other. Uh, to understand these things. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.